at the moment, those basic common law source rules, they don't work very effectively. In fact, I'd go further, I'd say they work ineffectively. And all these other measures are designed to correct that defective working of the basic source rules. We need to fix the basic source rules and then you won't need so many of these band-aids to fix the underlying problem. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 228 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. What are the current pressing issues around international tax? What is the world grappling with? Bob Deutsch, Senior Tax Counsel of the Tax Institute, will kindly walk you through the issues. But I also want to ask Bob about the upcoming tax summit at the ICC in Sydney from the 11th to the 13th next week. So starting on Wednesday next week and going until Friday. International tax scene. Yes. There's a lot happening at the moment on yes. an international stage. But correct me if I'm wrong, I have a feeling that very much affects the top end of town and not so much the small to medium businesses in Australia. Look, I think that's that's true to a point. International tax is relevant more at the top end than elsewhere. But when you say small to medium, I think that medium-sized enterprises are starting to expand their horizons beyond Australia. And, and you hence do see, are affected. And hence are affected. And you do see quite a lot of companies that are in that sort of revenue of $10 million zone, which I would call small to getting more medium, 10 to $15 million revenue zone. They are starting to expand offshore, possibly only baby steps at first into New Zealand, but looking into other jurisdictions as well. And they already have significant international tax issues. And there are a lot of things happening in the international tax space, not least of which is transfer pricing, which is an acute problem for a medium-sized enterprise that is expanding offshore because it's quite expensive to engage others to assist you with transfer pricing issues. So it's not so much a problem for the big boys because the big boys have dedicated tax departments that can handle transfer pricing issues either on their own or in, cons in consultation with external assistance. The real problem is for that medium-sized firm, you know, one that has revenue of $30 million and is expanding offshore, they really have a problem because they don't normally have a large dedicated tax department to assist them. So you usually pull off some finance people who perhaps don't have very substantial experience in tax affairs to try and handle it, and they often make a mess of things. And engaging external consultants can be a very expensive process. So there's a lot there to think about, particularly for those medium-sized firms. We already have transfer pricing yes. legislation. Yes, we do. But that's... Is meant to be harmonised? Is that the issue? Or does it have a lot of loopholes and the international yes. initiative is to 
to cover those loopholes in each of the relevant countries. The interpretation of the transfer pricing laws, even our new ones, is a complex matter. That's been revealed by a number of recent cases. Um, there's been a litigation in Chevron and a few other areas or a few other cases where the problems with the transfer pricing laws as we have them have been highlighted. Now, I don't want to overplay the point, but what it means for individual companies is that they have to very carefully go about setting their pricing within the organisation. So if you've got a subsidiary in Australia and a subsidiary in Hong Kong and they're trading with one another, setting those prices is an important process and one that can be fraught with danger in the context of transfer pricing rules. Because if you, for example, are found to overstate the price so that more is paid by the Australian company to the Hong Kong company, that's a transfer pricing issue. And the Australian revenue will be very interested in that because they will want to have that price corrected so that more revenue is generated in Australia upon which tax will be payable. Now, there's ways of handling that through documentation. There's also the possibility of what's called an advanced pricing agreement, which is an agreement between the Australian Revenue Authority, in this example, the Hong Kong Revenue Authority and the various companies. But that's quite a lengthy and time-consuming process to secure such an advanced pricing agreement. And you usually need external help to get you to the point at which you have a secure agreement with the revenue authorities. That's what I mean by the sort of challenge of transfer pricing. The legislation is there, it's fairly settled now, but applying the legislation and getting the outcome that you want is quite expensive and time consuming. And it is settled now because, for example, also we have the multilateral instrument now, we had the base erosion and profit shifting project, yes. all of that now has settled the matter well, to some extent. I mean, it will um, never be perfectly settled, but it has brought more calm into the storm. And I, so now the challenge is just complying with the new rules? Or Look, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that uh, a lot of that, the multilateral instrument, for example, the new rules around diverted profits tax, multi, multinational anti-avoidance rules, they add complexity rather than settle anything. My view on all that is that the problem we have created for ourselves, and this is, this is a personal view, which I know many people share, but a lot don't, is that our basic rules, our basic source rules, which dictate the extent to which our jurisdiction can tax, we have got those settings wrong. And all these other steps, leaving aside transfer pricing for the moment, but the multilateral instrument, the diverted profits tax, the multinational anti-avoidance laws, digital services tax, for example, all these things are trying to correct the fundamental flaw in our source rules. And my view is we should go back and start again. Get the source rules right. As Australia a, as a nation. As Australia as a nation. Get the source rules right. In other words, the source rules should reflect the fact that if there is economic activity occurring in Australia, that the profits that arise or the income that arises from that economic activity should be taxed in Australia. 
Now, at the moment, those basic common law source rules, and that's another problem that they're all common law and not set in statute, um, they don't work very effectively. In fact, I'd go further, I'd say they work ineffectively. And all these other measures are designed to correct that defective working of the basic source rules. We need to fix the basic source rules and then you won't need so many of these band-aids to fix the underlying problem. I see. So the international community basically has done its homework. They did what they could, but we as a nation, we haven't done our homework. I think that's a very good way of putting it because if you look at what the OECD is trying to do, but this doesn't just apply to Australia. It's, it's a phenomenon that is fairly prevalent across the globe. The OECD is sort of sitting on top of it all saying, well, look, you guys have all got it wrong. They haven't put it this way, but I'm sort of putting words in their mouth. You've all got it wrong. So we will lay over all the basic laws, new provisions, base erosion provisions, and multilateral instruments that will correct all those fundamental laws that will allow the right country to tax the right amount of income. Now, I'm not saying that going back and starting all over again is going to be an easy task. It's going to be actually very difficult. But I think at the moment, all we're doing is we are creating layer upon layer upon layer of complexity, added complexity. And I find that really problematic. Getting the multilateral instrument through, having this space of erosion and profit shifting project, that was a big initiative that took, I can imagine, took up a lot of the time. Has that come to an end now? So everybody kind of has gone home and the OECD has oh, not at all. put not their at focus all. onto something else? No, no. Or the, the OECD is still working very hard on further projects, but we are still linking behind because we haven't done our homework. Absolutely. I mean, it's the latter. Um, the OECD is still working very hard. They've actually had an initiative which they call a sort of two-pillar two initiative. The first part of it is to develop new nexus rules to replace concepts like source of income. And the second part of it is to develop a new minimum tax that would allow countries to impose a minimum tax where activities take place within the country. Now, those two pillars, as they call them, are happening as we speak. The first one they're, they're working on at the moment. They haven't, I don't think, started on the whole question of the new minimum tax, but countries are individually taking initiatives that really are a new minimum tax. Classic example of that is a digital services tax. It's exactly what it is. The UK is looking at imposing it right now, so is France. And what that means basically is that if you have digital services performed within the jurisdiction, they will tax them at a certain minimum amount. Even though under their laws otherwise they may not have a right to tax, they're seeking to impose that minimum tax. Now that's exactly what the OECD is trying to achieve, but on a sort of global basis rather than individual nations taking that initiative. So no, the OECD is very active in this space. Hasn't gone home yet. Oh, no, no. And I, I suspect they won't go home for many years. I think this is a process that will go on for a long time. The main problem, or one of the main problems, is that the US is not on board with the initiatives that the OECD is adopting. And whilst that remains the position, it's going to be very difficult. And when I say they're not on board, they're 
they're not on board on a number of the major aspects of what the OECD is doing. Where's the OECD headquartered? Is it headquartered in Switzerland or somewhere in um, Europe? Hence the US sees it more as a European organization. I think they do. I think the US sees it as something that is more focused on Europe, less focused on international affairs, but I think that's quite unfair. I think it is a very much international body and one that you know, is doing good work in this space, but it's a struggle for them. One initiative I think would solve all problems, but of course would be very difficult in practice, but what would solve all problems would be if every country had the same tax rate. Because if we all have the same tax rate, then we don't need to, then there is no incentive to transfer profits from one jurisdiction well, to another. It wouldn't be that straightforward because the tax rate is only one function of the tax. tax. Deductions so tax deductions and also what is included in the tax base. So you, you could have a global rate of you know, 20%. It wouldn't mean that every country is imposing the same yes, amount of tax or the same type of tax because the deductions could be much greater, for example, in one country than in another, in which case you would still get transfer pricing going on because you'd want that money in the location that is giving you the most attractive final outcome. So the rate wouldn't get you there. I can see where you're coming from, but it would require broader harmonisation than just at the level of the rate. So that's transfer pricing. Mm -hmm. When we look at the international tax scene, that is one big item on the to-do list. Are there other areas that are grumbling or is transfer pricing the big issue? The big issue that is currently the focus of US attention is the digital services tax that I mentioned earlier. Now, that's something that the French and the English have been actively pursuing. I'm not quite sure where they're up to now on that front, but I know that a certain gentleman by the name of Donald Trump has indicated that if either of them proceed with the digital services tax to impose tax on US companies operating in France and or the UK, he will impose tariffs. Now, he's clearly not averse to doing that. So <laughs> we've seen that in other contexts, namely China, and uh, it's quite likely that that is going to end up in some sort of imbroglio that is going to be difficult to extract themselves from, which is why, as I understand it, but I, I may not be up to date on this, but both the French and the English have stalled on the introduction of the digital services tax in both countries. So when you say what's grumbling, that's probably the biggest thing that is grumbling at the moment. I was first very surprised that the English and the French would team up against the US. Usually yes. England and the US are best buddies and mm. against France. So that surprised yeah. me. But now that you say that they seem to have stalled, that doesn't surprise me as much. Yes. Yes, look, I, I think they've stalled. I can't remember the last time I read about this, but I think it was a few weeks ago that I had read that they had both sort of slowed down and backed off a bit. Now, what's happened in the last two weeks, I've been away as well, so it's possible that something has happened that I've missed, but I'm pretty sure that we're still in the position of stalemate on this question. But I'm surprised that it's only the English and the French who are pursuing the digital service tax, that well, Germany isn't involved, that the rest of Europe isn't I involved, think, that Australia and New yeah. Zealand isn't involved, or, or Russia or China. Or I think everybody's 
involved in the background because everybody's concerned about this, but I think they're all waiting to see how the French and the UK perform and (laughs) what success they achieve before they jump in and start doing things as well. But there are a smattering of other countries that have started to engage with the process of introducing something like a digital services tax. Because, of course, the large digital services are all coming out of the US. You yes. know, when we when we look at the large ones, we have Google based in the US, mm. we have Facebook based in the US, we have Amazon yeah. based in the US. Yes. So it and very easily becomes a poli- and that's also yeah. why it kind of divides the countries yeah. because it's so clearly US based. Yes. And that's why the US does not want digital services taxes yes. anywhere because at the moment all the income effectively floods back to the US and the US gets to tax it without having to give any credit for foreign taxes because there'd be no foreign taxes paid or very little. Digital services tax would change that. The effect would be that tax would be paid in, for example, France or in the United Kingdom. And in the US. And then in the US, they'd have to give a credit for that tax, which would reduce the tax payable in the US. So you can see where the fight is, but it's going to be a a while before we know the outcome of all that. And of course, things may change in the US because there's the prospect of possibly a new president, and that will change things as well, because I'm sure that if the Democrats were to win in November, they would be far less inclined to impose tariffs than the current administration, and that would change the dynamics substantially. Okay, so we have transfer pricing, we have digital services tax. Is there another big topic on the international tax scene at the moment? Look, there's lots of things going on. The multilateral instrument is something that has been around for a little while, but it's still bubbling along and there's still issues with a lot of that. Just to be clear, the multilateral instrument has had the effect of modifying many of the double tax agreements that are in place. So there are over 2,000 tax agreements globally Um, Many of them have been potentially affected by this multilateral instrument, working out exactly what the effect is, when it starts, and who it affects is a complex matter. So that's still being sorted out. I think advisors are still coming to grips with what it all means, but I wouldn't call it settled just yet. So the three big topics are transfer pricing, digital service tax, and the ramifications of the MLI. Yes. Residency for corporates, isn't that also an international tax issue that's going on? And I think you also cover that in the tax summit. Yes, it's certainly a big issue. And the whole question of corporate residency is something that is being examined by the Board of Tax right now. One of the proposals is perhaps to move to a place of incorporation test solely to determine corporate residency. I think that will be resisted by government, but it's something that obviously is going to be looked at. At the tax summit, we have a session specifically dedicated to the question of residency of corporate session 3.2 with Kirsten Dairds, who has been heavily involved in a number of... uh, tax cases involving transfer pricing and also James Mackay from KPMG will be looking at that whole question of corporate residency. So that would be worthwhile attending as well. Yes, and so this question of corporate residency, that is another 
topic. That probably would be the fourth candidate for large international tax issues that we're currently is, facing. It certainly is in Australia. More broadly in the international context, I don't think it's really an issue. But in Australia, we are looking at the whole question of residency, both corporate and individual. But the one that this session will focus on is on the question of corporate residency. And yes, in Australia, it is an issue that is receiving some air at the moment. In terms of international tax, I think the big, the big areas that are requiring attention at the moment from both the tax administrators, but also from taxpayers and tax advisors is in the context of transfer pricing, digital services tax, and coming to grips with the multilateral instrument. They're big issues. They're not the only ones in the international scene, but they're certainly the three biggest ones. But these things have a habit of changing, and what is today's topic is not necessarily tomorrow's. So you have to keep a close eye on all this and uh, make sure that you're on top of what is the current issue, which could actually bring me to the tax summit. So in the tax summit that the Tax Institute will be holding in March of this year, more specifically March 11, in Sydney, um, there's a whole stream or there's streaming of different programs and one of the streams will be in the space of international tax. So we will, in that summit, look, for example, at in particular at issues like um, transfer pricing, like the multilateral instrument, like other practical issues for non-resident investors anti-hybrid mismatch rules, which is a total mess and a complex area, but also international tax structuring. That's a specific dedicated international tax stream that will be running through the program in the tax summit. There'll be other streams as well. So just to move away for a moment from international tax, there's a whole stream on small and medium enterprises. So that'll be less focused on international tax, more focused on domestic issues, particularly things like superannuation, Division 7A, which is an old but yes. continuing issue, in particular together with unpaid present entitlements, which is the main issue with Division 7A. And Vanessa Priest will be talking about all that in the context of what's next. So... She'll be telling us, hopefully, what's happened with all that legislation. But there's lots of other areas in that SME space that will be touched on, including buy-sell agreements and the effect of relationship breakdowns. There'll also be a corporate stream, which will look at residency for corporations and tax consolidations, justified tax, all these sort of issues that will affect taxpayers. And then there's another stream on professional practice that will look at the future of professional practice structures and the old question about professional practice income and whether it can be alienated to a third party, which is a, a topic that has been around for a long time and the tax office has had a lot to say about it. We'll also be holding a series of workshops, which is a new innovation that has come with this tax summit. There'll be a workshop on transfer pricing, which we've talked about extensively, but that'll be a fascinating look at a large company and how it handles its cross-border transactions with 
its related parties. There'll be a workshop on managing an ATO audit. So the whole question of how to behave, what you should say, what you shouldn't say, what sort of protections you should put in place and what your advisors can help with. There'll be a workshop on the R&D tax incentive, which I've had a lot to say about in recent times, but uh, I've been highly critical of the R&D incentive and the way it's structured and the complications that are there to, uh, well, I was going to say to impede companies. I don't think it's deliberate, but unfortunately the outcome is that a lot of companies that would be looking to engage in R&D activities are often put off the whole process by the complexities of the system. And then finally, um, there's a workshop on uh, how your business is likely to be impacted by the trade war. Now, that is still an important topic, even though the trade war between the US and China seems to have eased, it's certainly not over. And this phase one of the trade deal is only a very small part of what still needs to be achieved. It's quite likely that there's going to be a lot of bumps along the way. And we look in that workshop at how those bumps are likely to impact on specific businesses. And also there's the chance that more trade wars are to come. The whole EU, I mean, Donald Trump has not been backward in uh, saying that he's quite happy to have a trade war with the EU as well. So I think Australia is working very hard to stay out of the crosshairs of all that. But unavoidably, businesses will be affected by trade wars particularly with China, but even with the EU. You mentioned the issue about how to account for the income of professional practices, but does the professional practice stream also cover practice management? Well, it it will cover some aspects of that. There are three sessions in particular that are going to focus on professional practice. The first one will deal with when is professional practice income alienable, and that's specifically looking at the whole question of Part 4A in the context of professional partnerships, for example, trying to... Divert di income to other family members. Well, that's, <laughs> that's putting it at its cutting edge. Perhaps we might say uh, professional practices looking to legitimately alienate their income to family members. There's obviously a whole raft of issues there about how that happens and whether that can be challenged in any way by the tax office. The second session will look at the current framework for structuring professional practices, looking at service entities in particular, and dealing with profit allocations where there are multiple professionals. And the third one, with Greg Travers from William Buck, will look at the future of professional practice structures. And that may touch on some of those issues um, that you've referred to. So there's there's quite a lot there, but it's focusing on a number of aspects of professional practice. There's those four streams that we've discussed, but in addition, there are another four streams. So there's actually eight streams altogether. The other four streams are hot topics, which is obviously a look at the current issues. Probably the most important of those, there are a number there that are important, but the most important is company directors and their duties, obligations and liabilities, particularly in relation to the tax affairs of the company. That's going to be a very interesting session. There's another stream on technology and innovation, which will obviously look at issues about technology in the context of practices in particular, but also the whole question of technology and tax. 
There's a stream for emerging leaders. So that's designed for people who are new or relatively new to the profession, less than five years experience in tax, and they want to build their tax knowledge and understanding. In that area, we'll be looking at foreign income tax offsets, building trust with clients, and an overview of the imputation regime, which uh, is well overdue in terms of where we're up to at the moment. Eight streams. Yes. And then workshops in addition. Yeah. That's that's a huge it's a huge program. It's a very ambitious it's a very ambitious program. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. Should be great. This is sort of hot off the press, but we have an impressive speaker, a keynote speaker in the form of Peter Costello, the former treasurer. Wow. He was the architect of the GST, for example. And also Super SMSF. Well, he, he certainly wasn't the architect of Super. I think Paul Keating would have a lot to say about that if I made that suggestion, but he certainly did have a lot to do with the development of the SMSF sector and the development yes. of Super beyond where it was when it started. So they're the two big things that he will certainly look at, GST and Super, but he's going to give us a, a keynote speech that should be very insightful in terms of where tax is and where we're likely to be heading to. Welcome back. Just some statistics regarding the Tax Summit. Over 60 sessions, over 70 presenters, over 1,000 confirmed attendees. That is huge when you consider that the last ZeroCon was 3,000 attendees. And tax, of course, is a much smaller niche. So 1,000 attendees is a large audience. Different topic. The OECD headquarters are indeed in Europe. They are in Paris, in France, in the Chateau de la Muette, which you should Google. It is a beautiful building with a lot of history. Nazi Germany's Kriegsmarine was in there during the Second World War. A British assault unit liberated it during the liberation of Paris in 1944. And then the US Army moved in. And now comes the connection to international attacks. In 1949, this chateau became the headquarters of the OEEC set up under the Marshall Plan. And the OEEC became the OECD later on, all under US tutelage. So the US was instrumental in setting up the OECD. So you would think that they would be more lovingly inclined towards the OECD. But of course, in international tax, there is no room for loving inclination. Or maybe Donald Trump doesn't like that it is in France, or maybe he doesn't like the building, the chateau, very French. But I should let you go, I start not making any sense. In the next episode, episode 229, Jeffrey Artizado of SMB Consultants and Clinton Cowan of Tradipad will talk about their experiences as cloud integrators. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.